Luke 22, verse number 24. The Bible said, There was also strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? He said unto them, The king of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I among you as he that serveth. Ye are then which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appointed you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto them, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, hold on a second, Peter. I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath the purse, let him take it and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that it is written, uh, this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. And you do the math, that's 12 men, two swords. Ten fellows are fixing to defend for themselves. You go down to verse Number 39, he came out and he went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And as he withdrew from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter in to temptation. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, I just sure do thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful song service. And Lord, just like these disciples testified in the account that we just read, God, when you sent them out without the script, without the bag, Lord, they testified that you took good care of them. And Lord, I have to testify as well this morning, God, you sure do take good care of me. Every need I've ever needed, God, you provided Lord, every time I've needed air in my lungs, God, you've put it there. Lord, every time I've needed my heart to beat, you made sure that it did. 
I thank you, Lord, for taking such good, minute care of me. And I pray, Lord, this one that you'd hide me behind the cross of Calvary. I pray that you'd out of myself, Lord, fill me with the Spirit of God. Lord, you know the message, God, that you've put in my heart. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to preach it not at people, but as sitting in the crowd myself needing to hear from the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, this morning you'd work in our hearts. God, do a work, God, that the devil will not quickly untie, and that our flesh will not quickly give up. But God, it'd hold on to us for a while. It would change the way we live our Christian life. And I pray, Lord, this morning you'd simply let me just be a mouthpiece that brings glory and honor to your name. And Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, through the song service, Lord, the gospel's been presented. Lord, you can change them. You can give them eternal life. Lord, you're willing and able to do what nobody else can do for them. And I pray, Lord, you'd work in their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you draw them and save them if that's their need this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. Thank you for your grace and thank you for mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing. And I meant to do it early, but I'm so glad uh, to have Miss Hilda back in the service with us, amen, and been praying for her and so glad that she was able to make it. And uh, we're thankful for that. And also, if you're visiting with us, you're honored guests. We're so glad to have you. But Luke chapter number 22, it, where we picked up, takes place after the Last Supper and prior to Jesus being taken in uh, by the authorities and falsely accused, eventually crucified and dies. And so we find Jesus and his disciples there in between one place and going to the next. And I, I noticed something as I was reading this that there was something that is taking place multiple times within uh, this passage of Scripture. And I simply want to ask you a question this morning and and try not to get offended with me. I'm not mad at you, and I'm not accusing you of anything this morning. But I simply want to ask you this question. How often do you pray? How often do you pray? A lot of the times we, we, we liken our length of our prayer to the, 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 the spiritual level of our prayer. If somebody is spiritual, no doubt, I, I've read about men like Moody and I've read about men like uh, George Mueller who the majority of their morning, we're talking four o'clock to lunchtime, if not later than that, was given over to prayer. But let me ask you, how often, I'm not preaching to George Mueller this morning and last time I checked, D.L. Moody's dead. He's not in the service this morning. I'm preaching to people who have heartbeats and are alive this morning, who are living in 2024. How often do you pray? And that's not to be an offensive question. It's a question the Lord put in my heart. And I looked up a statistic. They said the average Christian in America prays for a minute a day. A minute a day. And then right underneath that, it said the average pastor in America prays for five minutes a day. If that is a true statistic, if that is how it plays out, then we have to, it is of no amazement why we're living in a generation where it seems like the church has lost its power. The church has lost its influence. The church has lost its place in society as an institution of righteousness and holiness, of compassion and grace. It is where 
We're, 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 why would we be amazed when people no longer can walk into the church house and feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the, the healing power of Christ's resurrection and the salvation that he promises to every believer? And here's the thing. Instead of dealing with the lack of prayer that is prevalent in our churches, we said, you know what? We will, we will, we will manufacture our way out of this. Instead of turning over to more prayer, we'll just have more programs. You know, we need more programs. We need more classes. We need more uh, times. And we need, we need more places for people to get together. What, what good is three Sunday school classes when you could have 27? We need more programs. We need things on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and Friday nights and Saturday nights. We become so consumed. And here's the thing this morning. I'm not against programs. I'm not against vacation Bible schools and summer camps and, 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 and Wednesday in the Word. And, and I'm not against any of those things this morning. But the reality is Jesus didn't say that some only come by programs. He said some only come by prayer and fasting. It isn't that we need more programs. It isn't that we need more pedigree. Listen, Bible college degrees are awesome. I've got one in my office. I earned it. I went to college for four years and I, I, I did what was required of me and now I've got a piece of paper but it, that piece of paper didn't have a secret slot of spirituality that as soon as I got it in my hand, now all of a sudden I'm spiritual. I'm all for education. Matter of fact, I, you could give your life to learning everything that is in this book and I'm not gonna slow you down this morning but the reality is education and pedigree is not the answer. It is not the solution this morning. The number of degrees you have does not translate to godliness or God's power. We need more programs. We, that's, it isn't, uh, we need more pedigree. Or well, I know it is, preacher, we need more performance. We just need preachers to be more excited. I'm telling you, preacher, if you come in here on a Sunday morning and you smile and you make us feel good and you just tell us exactly what we want to hear, I tell you what, this thing's going to take off. Or, or we just need more dynamic singing and, and we just need more captivating music and, and we just need a, a greater performance when we come in. Can I say God's put something deep down in my heart? I ain't here to perform. I'm not here to play with this thing. It's too serious. It's too, it's too real. So preacher, we just need more performance. The reality is I firmly believe we need more prayer. We need more prayer. I'm not going to pick on you, Kaylee and Adonis, but Miss Kaylee, if he only talked to you one minute a day, <laughs> that wouldn't be sufficient. Here, here's what you can learn in a minute a day. They're still alive. They're still breathing. They are, they're, 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 they're still present, but really you can't learn much more than that. Even if you bumped it up to five minutes, you can't go over everything that has taken place in a day in five minutes. And so when you think about this, we would never settle for an earthly relationship that is supposed to be close and intimate to be based on just one minute up to five minutes a day. We would say there is a issue there. And here's the thing this morning, a lot of times when it comes to our prayer life, we would say things like the preacher, I know I'm supposed to pray more. And I know that I should pray more. And I, I even know that I can pray more. I just don't. I just don't. And so we got to realize this morning, here's, here's what kind of, uh, as you're going from verse 24 all the way down to verse 46, 
I find out when it comes to the Lord, there's a whole lot of praying going on. There's a whole lot of praying going on. From the end of the Last Supper, the betrayal of Christ, we'll see that Jesus, has. it's as if he circles in and focuses it all in on the action in the avenue of prayer. Not just that he mentions it, but we also see him take practice in it. So let's take a look at these prayers and see what we can learn. Notice number one this morning, there was an intercessory prayer. There was a prayer of intercession. Look at verse 31 this morning. The Bible said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. Preacher, that's a big word. You, you talked about, that must be one of them Bible college words. What does the word intercession mean? Here, here I'll give it to you a good Hesper language. It means to pray on the behalf of somebody else. In essence, it is you taking your time and praying for somebody else. You gotta realize the Lord has delivered devastating news to Simon Peter. Simon, the, the worst thing imaginable. Simon, the worst person imaginable. The very face of evil has desired you to sift you as wheat. And then he, Jesus follows it up and God's gonna allow it to happen. God is going to allow Satan to have his way with you. In essence, Simon Peter was going to walk in the steps of Job himself where Job or Satan had gone before God and said, Lord, I've looked to and fro around the earth and I can't find anybody that would not deny you if, if you took everything away from them. And God suggested Job to Satan. God put Job in the way of Satan. Here now, Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. You got to realize this morning, we, we think of a sifter, that's that little, that little metal tin thing you got in your, your kitchen. You put your flour in and you turn that little handle and it turns it into a finer powder. You're supposed to do that before you bake. But biblical times, it wasn't that fancy. It wasn't that nice. Matter of fact, the, the action of sifting was a painful process for the wheat. It was taken and it was beat and it was, it was, it was uh, struck and it was just ma almost mashed down to the ground and it was a way to separate the wheat from the chaff to take that which was to be discarded and get rid of it and leave behind the germ that would be used to make bread. In essence, when Jesus looked at Simon, he said, Simon, Satan has desired to beat you with no mercy to beat you into submission, to take advantage of you and, and to, to have his way with you. And Simon, it's gonna happen. Well, how many of you would, in Simon's shoes right then and there, would have said, I quit. I don't want none of that. I don't want, uh, Lord, that is way too much. Right after the delivering the bat, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. What does Jesus say? But don't worry, Peter. Verse 32, he goes on to say, but I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for thee. And inside of me, I'm saying, Lord, you have the capability. You've already defeated him. You have the capability of bringing a stop to all of it and to, to, to push him away and not allow any of that to happen. Lord, I thank you for your prayers. 
But give me a little action on that. I remember not too long ago, it was after one of those school shootings. I can't remember who it was stood up and they said it was some kind of political leader stood up and said, enough of your thoughts and prayers. We want action instead. But do you realize this morning there was nobody on the face of the earth that Simon probably wanted praying for him than Jesus Christ? What a prayer must have been prayed by the Lord. What a sense of confidence that, that wells up in Simon Peter so much so that Simon Peter said, well, if he's praying for me, then I'm willing to die. I'm willing to go as far as I have to go. And here's the thing about Simon Peter. He said a lot of things he didn't know he was th what he was talking about. And how many of you can identify with Simon Peter? Sometimes we say things no, having no idea what we're really talking about. He didn't know what was right down the road, but here he, he understands that the Lord was praying for him. Now here's an interesting thought too. Jesus had already prayed for Simon Peter about something that Simon Peter had no idea was fixing to happen. Well, how many are glad that nothing surprises God this morning? <laughs> he said, Simon Peter, I looked in the future of your life and Satan's gonna desire to sift you as wheat, to, to, to beat you down, but don't worry, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. I've prayed on your behalf. Here is Jesus. I'm talking moments, uh, hours away from, from taking on the sin of every man, from laying down his life to being mocked and beat and buffeted and stripped naked and nailed to a cross. Moments before that, he said, even with all of that going on, Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. Here's the thing this morning, not only, the Bible said not only has he prayed for Peter, but for you and I this morning, he's ever making intercession before the Father on our behalf this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what everybody's going through. I don't have the ability to record and keep it all this morning. I, even the public things, let alone the private things, but may I remind you this morning that Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. Notice what he said right here. Well, what exactly did he pray for? Simon Peter. Verse number 32, but I've prayed for you that thy faith fail not. Simon, I've prayed that when it gets to the hardest points, and when, the, when it gets to the hardest moment, when it seems like all hope is gone, Peter, I pray that you wouldn't quit. Peter I, I, Peter, I pray that you won't give up. Peter, I, I pray that you won't succumb to the beatings of Satan. But even in the darkest moments, you will remember by faith, I have prayed for you. And I'm able to deliver you. He prayed that Peter would have an unfailing faith. Here's an interesting thing. Simon Peter definitely hit a low point. How low, preacher, to the point where he denied God. Denied the Lord. I don't know that man. Even went to the lengths of cussing, of using vernacular, allowing words to come out of his mouth that identified, that he tried to identify him as a sinner. <laughs> I heard not too long ago that there was a pastor out there who said in order to reach lost people, he started cussing. I said, that's foolishness this morning absolutely foolishness. 
But he said, Peter, and Peter hit this low, he denied the Lord. He even went, I go a fishing. I'm done serving God. I'm going back to what I used to do. I, I firmly believe this morning a lot of that, that desire to walk away, that desire to quit was through that, that sifting process of Satan because it's not pleasant. It's not fun. It's not an enjoyable experience. And yet Simon Peter, he, I mean, he went all the way, uh, almost as low as a man could go. And then one day, he sees him on the side of the seashore. The Bible says Simon Peter girts up his jacket his robe, and he jumps into the water. He swims back to the Lord. The Lord begins to work in his heart. Simon Peter, lovest thou me? Oh, Lord, you know that I love you. In essence, even when it seemed like Simon Peter had given up, there was still something deep down inside of, deep down inside of Simon that reminded him and proved to him that it was the Lord. And he hadn't given up on him. You go from that, that seashore where Jesus has dealt with him. Simon Peter's not the same man. Matter of fact, you go and you read that, I don't think Simon Peter ever quit again. I don't think he ever doubted him again. I don't think he ever walked away from him again. And so he said, Peter, I'm praying that you have an unfailing faith, that thy faith fail thee not. He said, not only that I'm praying for your faith, but I, he said, in my prayer, I want to know you have a successful accomplishment. Notice what he said right there in verse 32. Thy faith fail thee not. Look at the next phrase. And when thou art converted. When thou art converted. Well, you mean to tell me Simon Peter wasn't saved yet? I think Simon Peter got saved when he left behind the boat. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I firmly believe when, G when Simon Peter put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord saved him. So he's not talking about salvation here, but rather after Simon has come through the trial. In essence, he's saying, Simon Peter, I prayed for you, not that your faith will fail you, but I do want to let you know, Peter, that there is an end to this trial. When thou art converted, when thou see it all the way to the end, if you see it through, It'll be followed by a win. When thou art converted. And finally, a powerful realization. Strengthen thy brethren. Peter, you're going to take the brunt of it. Peter, you're going to take the blows and the buffets from Satan. And yes, you're going to gain some great things out of it, Peter. But this process isn't just for you. It's for the brethren. Can I say this one? I'm glad that Peter was willing to go through what he went through and face what he faced so you and I nowadays can learn from what he went through to strengthen the brethren. Here's the thing. If we're only praying one to five minutes a day, there is no intercessory prayer going on. You don't have time for it. What about you? In a minute to five minutes, it's still about me. It's still about what I'm struggling with, what I'm fighting with, what I'm dealing with. There is no time to pray for anybody else. We do that good news club and we'll take up prayer requests uh, right before we pray and pass out snack. We take up prayer requests. We start from one table, go down to the next. Now, the older kids, they grasp the, the concept. Pray for this person. Pray for that person. They're sick. And you get, you get down to them younger kids and you get some interesting prayer requests. Matter of fact, there's one boy every day, every club. Pray for chicken nuggets. I'm fixing it to tell listen, son, I don't care how much you pray, they ain't going to be real from McDonald's. But every now and again, you'll run into one, 
And if one says it, 12 will say it. Pray for everybody in the whole world. Now, God can handle that prayer request. He's able to. But let's tie that in to what we just read. <laughs> Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. But don't worry. I've prayed for the whole world. It don't have the same effect, does it? I mean, yes, Simon Peter knew he was in the world and he knew that he, he was alive and he knew that if Jesus had prayed for the world, then yes, he had been prayed for. But imagine the comfort that must have came to Simon Peter's heart when, yes, he delivers the badness. Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. He made it real personal. Boy, imagine if you're able to walk in to church and not just stand up and say, I pray for everybody in the church. That's a wonderful prayer request. But imagine the courage and imagine the strength and the help it would be if you were able to walk to somebody, grab them by their hand, look them in their eyeball and say, I have prayed for you. That's intercessory prayer. Praying one for another. Let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for somebody like Jesus prayed for Peter? There was an intercessory prayer. Then notice number two, there was an agonizing prayer. Agonizing prayer. Go down to verse number 41. We are now in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas in just a few verses. And I think we, we, we come into one of the most beautiful prayer meetings in your entire Bible. It's Jesus praying to the Father. He has left his disciples to pray for themselves. Pray lest you enter into temptation. Preacher, what's that all about? That's, verse, that's point number three. But now Jesus, has, the Bible said he's, he's removed him, himself a stone's cast away. He is within a certain distance, but he is removed from his disciples. And the Bible said he bows himself and he begins to pray to the Father. And we quickly see that this prayer goes from a, a, a normal prayer to an agonizing prayer. Matter of fact, this is the prayer with such agony and such fervency and such desire behind it that Jesus begins to sweat great drops of blood. Scientifically, his capillaries have begun to burst from stress. And from just the, 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 the weight of what is going on here. And we sit back and we say, what a prayer. What, what a savior. But then we look at our generation. We look at our society. Well, I was teaching in Sunday school this morning. It's a crazy. It's crazy how much can change in one generation. Israel went from conquering to being conquered in one generation. We're living, we are living in the anti-agony Christianity generation. We are living in comfortable Christianity. We are living where, as preacher, please don't make me. I'm not going to make you do anything. But I'm trying to help us to realize this morning, there's probably a whole lot more we could be doing when it comes to the avenue of prayer. And I'll say this this morning, and I'll stand behind it. If all you ever do is live in your comfort zone, you're probably not doing much for the Lord. 
If all you ever do is live in your comfort zone, you're probably not doing much for the Lord. And I'm not just talking about, uh, talking about standing up in front of people. Can I say, if you do this long enough, this becomes comfortable. In essence, this morning, there are places where, where I still get up and I get nervous to talk in front of people, but y'all ain't it no more. <laughs> y'all know me, I know you, I feel rather comfortable we're preaching here this morning. Now, I still get up and, and wonder, that, Lord, I want to please you. I want to do right, Lord. I don't want to mess up the Bible. I don't, I don't want to say anything crossways or anything uh, ignorant, Lord. Help me in that sense. But as far as standing up before you, I'm no longer nervous to do it. That's a scary place to be sometimes. Because sometimes you get real comfortable. <laughs> and you say things that you ought not to say. You start meddling in things like makeup and hair dye and all those things on Wednesday nights. <laughs> But giving up things that are comfortable so you can do something more spiritual. Jesus could have stayed at the table. He could have enjoyed. The Bible said when they got done, even with Judas Iscariot in the crowd, they had a time of worship, had a time of praise. They sang songs, a wonderful time of fellowship. Jesus could have stayed there. The Bible said, no, he gathered up his disciples and they headed into the garden of Gethsemane and he began to pray in agonizing prayer. Let me, let me ask you, what, what was he praying for that caused such agony? Our sin. My sin. Your sin. Jesus was willing to enter in to one of the most agonizing prayers ever recorded in the history of the earth for you and I. He was willing to go. He was willing to be agonized. He was willing to be, I wrote that word somewhere down, what it means, and I can't find it this morning. But that word agony, it carries understanding. It's not just, uh, he wasn't playing with it. He wasn't just hurt. He was talking about deep down inside of him, there was that weight of our sin. Let me ask you, how much sleep would you be willing to give up to pray for the salvation of your loved ones? How many shows would you be willing to miss to pray for your children's future? How many posts would you not read to pray for God to strengthen your marriage? How many video games? Yeah, here we go. I done got comfortable. How many video games would you not play to pray for God's will for your life? Preacher, I just don't have time. I think if we're going to be real honest, there's a lot of things that occupy our time that don't need to occupy them, that don't need to be there. And once again, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I, I, if I could preach this while sitting in the pew and it makes sense, I would do that. But I'm right there with you this morning. We find Christ not just praying, but agonizing in prayer. That word agony, there it is. That word agony means to struggle which led him in our, our, in our earnestly praying what he was agonizing. He was agonizing over our sin. And we see his prayer, it's short, it's, it's not long. It's not a, it's not a great drawn out uh, lyrical sympathy, sympathy, but rather it is, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Now we understand Jesus was God. We understand when Jesus didn't, get baptized, didn't have to get baptized, he wasn't required to do so, but he did to set a standard. Jesus didn't have to vocally pray out loud, God hear him. Matter of fact, he said, God always hears me. My father always hears me. So why, why would he pray out loud? Why would it be recorded? So you and I would have a pattern to follow. We can look to. 
Remove this cup from me. Give me the easy way out. Give me the easy option. Unless that's not what you want. If we're only praying for a minute, we're only praying, God, get me out of this. God, change this. God, fix this. God, do this. God, do that. Lord, give me, Lord, just what, Lord, give me the easiest option here. But when you and I begin to agonize over it, we begin to struggle with it. When we begin to realize that we can't control it and we can't fix it and we don't have the, 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 the ability or the understanding to, to make any lasting impact by ourselves and, and we begin to realize, Lord, I don't want the easy way out. Lord, give me your will. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Most Christians are not in the will of God. Not because God doesn't desire to make it clear to them. Not that God is, not that God is willing to make it understandable to them. Most Christians are not in the will of God because they have not let God break their own will. That only comes through agonizing prayer. And notice this, the... Jesus begins to agonize in prayer in verse 42. Verse 43, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthened him. Oh, preacher, I need help with this. And preacher, I need, I, I, I need, I need strength here, and I need help here, and I, I need an uplifting here, and I need encouragement here, preacher. What do I need to do? Lord, teach me how to agonize in prayer. Because when it became serious and we, we see the seriousness and when it becomes serious to us and we begin to realize how weighty of a subject it is, the Bible said as soon as he began to agonize, there appeared heavenly help. The agonizing prayer led to some heavenly help. Let me ask you, how many of us are wanting some heavenly help in our lives? It may be time to start agonizing in prayer like Jesus did. Well, I'm glad when it came to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, all right, Lord, help him. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to go. Even though it necessarily wasn't long, we, we understand it had to be some kind of time because the disciples fell asleep, but the wor words are recorded here in the, 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 the environment, the atmosphere. I, 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 I seldom think we find that anymore in our prayer closets, in our times of prayer. There was agonizing prayer. When was the last time you agonized in prayer like Jesus did? We've seen there was an intercessory prayer. There was an agonizing prayer. Notice number three this morning. There was a missing prayer. There was a missing prayer. Look at verse number 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them who was disciples, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Go down to verse number 46. And he said unto them again, why sleep ye? Rise and pray lest ye enter in to temptation. Twice the Lord directs his disciples to pray and twice he tells them why. Lest ye enter in to temptation. Which leads me to believe that there is some temptation in your life that will only be defeated through the avenue of prayer. Pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Could you please show me where the disciples prayed? You can't. I can show you where they were sleeping but I can't show you where they prayed. I can't show you where, where they started. I can't show you where they finished. All I know is that when Jesus came to them, they were not praying, they were sleeping. And truth be told, 
I think Jesus still finds a lot of Christians sleeping when it comes time to pray. But here's what I got to thinking about. Out of 11 guys, we know Judas has left to betray him. Out of 11 guys, they couldn't figure out a system, a way to go about this that they would be praying like the Lord told them to do. I remember being in high school, I went to ROTC camp my, I think it was my sophomore year. We went out to somewhere, National Guard Center in South, South Carolina, got yelled at for a whole week. It was absolutely wonderful. Got yelled at, did push-ups, and oh, rolled around in the mud. Never went back. <laughs> they told me in high school, they said, they said now, now uh, Tate, if, if you want to become the, 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 the head honcho here, you're going to have to go to Leadership Academy. I said, what do they do there? They teach you leadership. I said, do they really? <laughs> or is that just another camp where I got to get yelled at for a whole week? They said, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. I said, you can have it. <laughs> I said, I grew up in a military home. My dad was selected to be a drill instructor, and he turned it down. He just practiced on us. <laughs> I heard it all. <laughs> they said, well, you won't get the yellow cord on your uniform. I'm okay with that. I don't feel like paying $150 to get yelled at all week. But I remember we were, that my, my 10th grade year, we were out there at the camp, and every night they set up what was called a fire watch. And what, what were you supposed to do? You're supposed to sit outside and see if the fire was happening. And if there was one, you're to report it and wake everybody up. And so they, they broke it off into, I think it was two-hour increments. And, you know, everybody was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from 10 to 12, 12 to 1, one to, you know, however the thing was. But I remember nobody wanted to wake up early. Nobody wanted to take the 4 to 6 o'clock. I said, I will take that. They said, you're crazy. You're going to have to get up early. I said, no, you're crazy because you're going to have to wake up in the middle of the night and try to go back to sleep afterwards. <laughs> Once I'm up, I'm up. <laughs> I don't have to go back to sleep. But I sat out there and I watched for two hours. No fire happened. <laughs> What'd you do? I went in and got dressed for the day. <laughs> And I thought, man, this is, this is interesting. Like, this is really how the military does it? You and you, you're standing outside and not, make sure there ain't no fire. Like, build things now. <laughs> you can put them on the wall. <laughs> It'll tell you if there's a fire. But I thought, maybe, maybe these fellas in the Bible, these disciples, maybe, maybe they could have, you know what, Peter, you pray first. And then you pray after him, and then you pray after him, and you pray after him, and we'll get this cycle going, and we'll figure something out. But there's none of that. All we know is they fell asleep. And we're going to, why? Why? Why did they? Well, maybe there was a reason. Maybe they were still trying to figure out who was going to be the greatest. Verses 24 through 27, that's exactly what they're arguing about. Which one of us is going to be the greatest? Look at verse 24. There was strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? And Jesus straightens them out. Look, look down at, uh, where is it at right here? Uh, verse number 30. And Jesus said, this, that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom. Jesus said, this, ain't none of this yours. It's mine. And I'm lending it to you. I'm allowing you to serve me. He said, I'm the greatest. Y'all quit arguing about it. But maybe, maybe when they got down to pray, why, why do you think you get to lead, Simon Peter? I mean, Jesus just said you're going to deny him. You think it's time for you to lead prayer meeting? Thomas, you're going to lead? I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. 
And they, maybe they were going back and forth, and they, they, they couldn't resolve. Here, what are you trying to say, preacher? A lot of the times, right, we, we struggle with that because we think, well, if so-and-so isn't doing it, and so-and-so isn't doing it, then why should I have to pray? Why should I have to do that? Because it's what Jesus told us to do. They were still trying to figure out the, who was the greatest. Maybe they were still focusing on the wrong thing. Verse 36 down to verse 38. Jesus tells them, hey, sell your stuff and go buy a sword. He said, because times are fixing to get interesting. Well, and he, he knew what he was talking about because he knew when he left, he knew when the Holy Spirit come in and the church began to grow, there's going to be great persecution. And so they look around and there's 10, ten of them or so. And they look around and they say, well, there ain't, there ain't but so many of us. We got two swords. And Jesus said, y'all missed it. Y'all, Jesus wasn't telling them to go get armed to get ready to fight. Jesus was telling them the environment, the atmosphere was fixing to change. And those that were with them now may very well come against them. And now they have become so consumed with I, I could see them. Instead of, instead of praying, they are sharpening that sword. Boy, boys, we got to get ready. Here's the interesting. The time Peter finally uses it, God undoes, 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 God undoes everything the sword did. He puts old buddy's ear back on. Can I say tonight or this morning that the kingdom of God and what the, the work of God, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm not against you carrying a concealed weapon. I'm not against you protecting your family. But as we further the gospel, it is not by force in that sense. We are to preach and to teach and to explain and to give the gospel. And they'd become focused on the wrong thing. <laughs> you might be physically armed this morning, but what about spiritually? What do you think? The devil's going to show up at your house? You're going to shoot him with that? 30 out of 6 you got? You think it will cower to Smith & Wesson? I'm going to get you, devil. <laughs> You're going to put holes in your wall. We fight spiritual battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against powers. My, 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 my armor, my weapons are not carnal. They're spiritual. I feel like we got a lot of Christians that are armed to the teeth, physically, but have no ammo spiritually. Maybe they, they weren't praying because they were focused on the wrong thing. Maybe they weren't praying because they allowed their emotions to control them. Look at verse 45. And when he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping because they were tired. That's not what it says. He found them sleeping because they were sick. That's not what it says. He found them sleeping because they were sorrowful. They were sorry. They looked and seen what was going on and what Jesus said. They said, you know what, there's no point. We'll just, we'll just go to sleep. We'll give up. We're done with this. Sleeping for sorrow. What's the point? Let's just go to sleep. And maybe, just maybe, you allowed your emotions to control you. Preach, the world's getting terrible. People are getting horrible. Life is going crazy. All those things are true. But can I say this one? We have a blessed hope. We have a redeemer. We have a savior. He's the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. We have no reason to be sorry this morning. Let me ask you, when your life is over, will it be an example of prayer it will be one of missing prayer. Jesus agonized in prayer. He gave us intercessory prayer. But then notice there was a missing prayer. Let me ask you, is prayer missing in your life? And if it is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to strive to do better? And here's the thing, you're, you're going to say, preacher, I'm going to strive to do better. And you're going to get down and you're going to pray. And you're going to think, all right, this is going to change the world. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to see visions and, and heavenly rapture and everything's going to be wonderful. And you're going to get down and pray. And you're going to pray everything you have. And you're going to go for a minute and 30 seconds. 
And Satan's going to say, well, look at you, big shot. You prayed a whole minute in 30 seconds. And when he does, look ahead at him and say, as, as much as I don't like to admit it, it was a minute and 30 seconds more than yesterday. And Dad, we better watch out because I'm going for two minutes tomorrow. And I'm going to build it up and build it up and build it up and build it up. Preach what happens when I miss a day. Pick it up again. I'm going to pray as much as the Lord desires me to pray. Let's all stand with every head bowed, every eye closed.